Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church Owasso Sermon Podcast. Grace changes everything. The book of Haggai. This book is kind of like a Joe Rogan podcast or a Jordan Peterson lecture. And if you don't know who those people are, ask any man, any guy that's under 35, and he'll tell you because... If this prophetic book was to be a, uh, a, a world tour, the world tour would be called No More Excuses, especially to the leaders in this room, because people follow you. Defeater beliefs, things like uh, how could a good God send people to hell, or How could um, God allow suffering to happen? These defeater beliefs, these intellectual arguments that we have asked over the last, um, you know, many, many, many years as an uh, evangelical church have been replaced in these days with defeater ethics. What I mean by that is that people's objections in your neighborhood and your friendships and the people that you know that aren't Christians anymore, that have left the faith or that have abandoned the church or look at the church, the reason they're leaving is not because of intellectual arguments. The reason they're leaving is because of defeater ethics. Like, how come Christians are supposed to be so loving to one another? And in the church that I grew up in, the church split like three times. And the leaders of the church were immoral, and they let everybody down. I want nothing to do with the Christian church. That's not an intellectual argument. That is an ethical one. Or my friends who struggle over their sexuality, who don't really know where they are or what they believe, who who may even say that they are gay or they're lesbian. Why is it that the church seems to put up a brick wall that doesn't allow them to become part of the church to struggle over that and together with the community. And so they leave over issues of gender and sexuality because the church seems to be confused by how we love each other, even in our struggle over sin. And it's true in our own heart. We have things that we've held captive. Maybe it's even your sexuality that you just say, God, you can't have this part of my life. But what if he wants that part of your life? Is there something that is so precious to you that you refuse to let the Lord in on it? Maybe it is that you struggle with same-sex attraction or you struggle with lust. The Lord wants you to allow Him to have that part of your life because He is the Lord of the whole of your life, not just part of your life. He wants all of you. In the world, when they look at Trinity Presbyterian Church or whatever church you want to think of in these days, they leave the church not because of defeater intellectual beliefs, but because of defeater ethics. Does that make sense? And so part of our witness to this community is to be able to say we stand firmly on the Word of God that says that there is true and right views of marriage between man and woman. There is true and right and good, beautiful expressions of sexuality. There are true and right and good expressions of repentance and faith together as covenant people in relationship together. That life is messy. That Are we hypocrites? Of course we're hypocrites. That's what the church is for, is to help us become less hypocritical over time. But don't you see how long it sometimes takes? I want you to help me finish uh, this famous quotation. 
Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Winston Churchill said that to the British Parliament in 1948. It is, uh, it's a, it's, he actually quoted George uh, Santayana, who said it in 1905. And Santayana's original quote is, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Doomed? Condemned? Those words resound with covenant language. And there are four movements of prophetic words by Haggai to the people who have returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple in 520 B.C. And we know that between August 29th, 520 B.C., and December 18th, 520 B.C., Haggai gave these four prophetic words to the people who had returned from exile to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And we know this because we know from Assyrian secular history when Darius was the king. And more than any other minor prophet, we can specifically date when Haggai was written. And he says four things to us. Number one, God does not tolerate your misplaced priorities. He does not tolerate mine. He is calling you back to obedience, verses 1 to 15 of chapter 1. Stay on mission and rebuild the temple. That was the call he had given to them. The temple is my house, and where my house is is where my presence dwelt. He says in verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. God does not tolerate your misplaced priorities. Disobedience to God's command is covenant rebellion. This goes all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 22 through 40, where God says, if you don't obey what I've called you to do, you will experience the covenant curses. And this has been a heart issue for God's people throughout time. And in studying Haggai over the last couple of weeks, it's become so much more apparent to me how this is a heart issue in my life. Where is God calling you to reset your priorities, to fulfill something he has asked of you to do that just seems too great for you to hand over to him? What is your precious like Gollum clung to the ring. What do you cling to? That you say, Lord, you can have the whole of my life, but this, this, I'm going to keep for myself. 600 years after this book was written, this was an issue that John talked about in the book of Revelation in chapter 2. He said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the church, what the Spirit says to the churches. I have this against you, that you have abandoned, O oh, church of Ephesus, the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and did the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Is it any wonder why our friends who look at the church today see churches whose lampstands have been removed? Because the church has failed to center its life upon God's infallible word. And the people have begun to do whatever is right in their own eyes. And repentance has just become, it's just become some kind of like an elective that you take in some class called going to church. 
And he has removed the lampstand from much of the evangelical church in this country. Why? Because we have forgotten that the way that you grow in your relationship with Jesus is through repentance and faith. The same repentance and faith that Cynthia has displayed and that Katie has displayed and that Liam and that Emma displayed before us this morning. Yes, I believe in Christ. I turn from the ways that I had lived and I now give my life to Jesus by faith. Obedience always brings blessings. And sometimes God alters our circumstances to bring us to repentance, and he does so in his kindness. Look at at verse 6. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. What is the Lord saying through Haggai? He is saying, I am frustrating your endeavors so that you would recognize that you can only find rest when you find rest in me. All the time that you spend to build your paneled houses and to build a great name for yourself, wouldn't you allow me to give you an even greater name by trusting in my finished work for you? In Deuteronomy 28, it says, if you will faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, you will be overcome with blessing. Do you believe that? Well, you say, well, Pastor Blake, listen, I know that not every time I obey God that I am blessed. Oh, really? Maybe not in ways that you can tangibly pick up. He doesn't promise material prosperity to you. He doesn't promise that you will get that job. Maybe that's the job that he actually is preserving you and saving you from. He doesn't always heal you because he has something perhaps different for your life as a way to glorify him but blessed you will be because he promises it in his covenant promises in Deuteronomy 28 that I will bless you as you obey. And I just want to ask you, where in your life are you holding something back from what the Lord has so clearly called you to do? And might that be a reason why you're experiencing some of the frustration that you're experiencing? You're sowing a lot, but you're harvesting a little. Why? Remarkably, uh, Ezra, as Tommy and Rachel read for us earlier, tell us that the people indeed set to work. In Ezra chapter 1, Ezra retells this part of uh, the book, uh, the history of the people of Israel. And Zerubbabel and Joshua lead the people to go back to rebuilding the temple. It was amazing. It was beautiful. Haggai is one of the few prophets that actually gets to see his prophecy spur the people of God on to do what his prophecy called them to do. Now, remember a little bit of history, and if you're new to the Bible, here's a little history lesson for you. In 586 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah was taken captive by a man named Nebuchadnezzar and his country, which was called Babylon. And they were taken into exile in Babylon. And Daniel existed under that that reign, and he lived and he worked then. And In uh, 538, a man named Cyrus and the Assyrians grew in strength and might, and they conquered the Babylonians, and they took over the Babylonian Empire. And one of the first things that Cyrus did is he said to the Jewish people, if you want to go back to your homeland, if you want to go back to Jerusalem, which is a city now that just lies in ruin, the temple is there in rubble, the walls have broken down. If you want to go back to that place, then you are welcome to go back. And Zerubbabel and Joshua led 50,000 people back to Jerusalem. And then many years later, in 458, Ezra later led 14,000 people 
back into the city. And then later, after that, Nehemiah led 42,000 people back in 444. And so this city that was once just bustling with people slowly began to have people come back again and again and again. And the people who went back were the right people in the right place with the right motives and the right purpose. They went back to rebuild the temple. And they laid the foundation of the temple and they just went whole hog after rebuilding the temple, rejoicing that they are back in their fatherland in Jerusalem. Because where the temple is is where the presence of Yahweh is. And they found that worshiping in Babylon never satisfied them. They need to be back where the Lord is. And we're going to rebuild the house of the Lord. But what happened? After two years of rebuilding the house, they began to look at their own houses and go, oh, yeah, my wife needs me at home. My kids need more of me. They made all kinds of excuses. Some of them were probably really good reasons. But they left rebuilding the temple and they started rebuilding their own homes. And they forgot about rebuilding the temple of the Lord. And the next year they forgot. And the next year they forgot. And the next. A decade passes. 15 years pass. And they're living in this bustling city and the temple lies in ruins. And 17 years later, after they enter the land, the Lord calls Haggai, and he says, this is not good. My people have forgotten their purpose. And friends, God does not tolerate our misplaced priorities. He sends prophets. And sometimes he opens up his word to call us back to obedience in areas of your life that you might once have held fiercely to yourself, your comforts, your desires, your deep fears. And so... I don't know if you've ever started in obedience and in desire to do something great for the Lord and being very encouraged by it, and then you found pretty quickly that you lost interest or you got distracted. Maybe I'm the only one that that's happened to. But what about you? Haggai, King Darius, Zerubbabel, Joshua. God raises up a prophet a priest, and a king. Zerubbabel as the governor, Joshua as the priest, Haggai as the prophet. And he calls us to repent and back to obedience. What's your temple? What has God called you to do, where to serve, to build up, to construct for his glory? Where is an area that he is calling you back to obedience? That's Haggai's first message. God does not tolerate our misplaced priorities. The second one in verses 1 to 9 of chapter 2 is that incorrect perspectives will never satisfy you. Incorrect perspectives will never satisfy you. A month after they set to rebuild the temple and indeed five years later they finished it. They finished it. That's the end of chapter 1 of Haggai. And yet they finished it and they looked at the temple and they were overcome with disappointment. Haggai chapter 2, verse 2 says, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah. Now Haggai targets Zerubbabel and Joshua, and he says to them, Hey, leaders, listen up. You are the high priest, and you are the governor of all the remnant of the people. The remnant were those who had come back to Jerusalem. And say, Who was left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it as though it is nothing in your eyes? 
If you run after God in obedience, fierce obedience, and you try to obey him all that you can, as much as you will be blessed, and you will be blessed, it won't ultimately satisfy you. Why? Because you were made not to just fulfill a purpose, but you were made to know a person. You were made to know someone who is the true prophet, priest, and king who has come to you, even the Lord Jesus. And so many of you have run after check boxes of evangelical discipleship, and you have forgotten that repentance and faith are the two pedals of the bicycle that move you forward in the Christian life. I know you've been on mission trips. That's awesome. I know that you've served in this committee or that committee. That's awesome. That's great. I know you have a quiet. That's wonderful. Those are great fruits, but the root is repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. And those who were 70 years and older who were there in Jerusalem could remember 70 years before the beauty of Solomon's temple before it was destroyed. And it says in Ezra chapter 3 that the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's houses and the old men who had seen the first house, there was so much rejoicing and weeping that the people couldn't tell the difference because they were weeping that this house, though beautiful, was not like the former glory of the previous house. Why? Because even if you fulfill the purpose for which God has called you and you miss the person of the Lord Jesus who's called you to that purpose, you will never be satisfied. Do you remember that George, uh, George Clooney, Sam Elliott movie, Up in the Air? You remember that movie? About the man who went after all those air miles? You remember this? You remember George Clooney play, plays a real-life person who actually has 20 million air miles with United. But George Clooney in this movie he was going after the miles, the 10 million frequent flyer miles. And do you remember the scene when Sam Elliott, who's the chief pilot of United, comes down the aisle and the, 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 the stewardess announces to the whole plane and serves champagne to everybody that we have somebody who is 10 million miles. And Clooney has worked like all his adult life to this moment. And he sits there and Sam Elliott, the, the pilot, gives him this silver plaque, this card that says the 10 million mile club. And it has his name on it, and it has the number seven. He's the seventh person who's ever done it. <laughs> and Sam Elliott sits there, and he says, well, you're the seventh to ever do this. And George Clooney looks at Sam Elliott, and he goes, I have thought for years what I would say in this moment. And now I've forgotten what I was going to say. Huh. This is it. And dads, I know that you have been there. I know you've been there. When you're like, you know what? When I get married, it's going to be great. When I have children, it's going to be great. When I get to this point, it's going to be great. And you are constantly overcome by the disappointment of George Clooney sitting in that seat with the chief pilot. And you're like, huh. This is it. If you find yourself taking deep satisfaction in your purpose, but you miss the person who wants to know you, then you will never be deeply satisfied. The remnant of God in ancient Israel were those who came back to Jerusalem. They were the right people, the right place, the right motive, and here you are in worship. The right people, the right place, with the right motive. 
But it is not the presence of your faith that counts. It is the object of your faith. It's not the amount of your faith. It's the object of your faith. And do you trust in the Lord's promises to you or do you trust in the world's promises? Haggai says, remember God's kingdom. All of the nations will pour into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ one day. And it will be more beautiful than anything you could ever imagine. Why? Because Christ is the head. It is the person of the Lord Jesus that you are to have the relationship with, not in the goals that he has called you to do in light of the relationship you have with him. Os Guinness writes in a book called Doubt that there are seven reasons why we tend to doubt. And one of those reasons that we tend to doubt is we doubt because of our ingratitude. Because we forget to remember all that he has done for us. And as you see these baptisms this morning and as you prepare to take the Lord's Supper, would you remember all that he has called you to do? Because remembering doesn't seem like it was a big deal, but remember, it is a complete shift in perspective that is what we as God's covenant people are called to embrace. You have a new nature, friends. You have been born again, John 3. You have a new, not just faith in the Lord Jesus, but a new worldview through which you envision everything about your life. And sometimes it's the small things in life that actually lead to the biggest differences, remembering the small things in your life, like coming to worship to take the Lord's Supper, or, or you know, for the young boy who packed his lunch, he had no idea that Jesus would take those, those uh, five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000. Or for the young couple who, who got engaged and got married, they had no idea that in their wedding ceremony, their celebration, that Jesus would do his first miracle and change the water into wine. They had their perspectives totally switched and totally, but do you remember those days in your life when the Lord has done the same for you? Which takes us to the third point. In verses 10 through 19 of chapter 2, stay with me, he has his third prophetic word, and it is the regular practice of covenant faithfulness is the key to kingdom blessings. The regular practice of covenant faithfulness is the key to kingdom blessings. Two months after he addresses the priests, uh, he addresses uh, uh, the leaders of Zerubbabel and, and Joshua, he addresses the priests directly. And he has this conversation about ritual purity. When you touch a dead body, are you unclean? Yes, I'm unclean. Well, Haggai says, that has been the way you have been your whole life. Because there's sin that reigns in your heart. And the remnant people were impure just like you and I are impure. Just like people who touched dead bodies in the Old Testament were impure. And their impurity led to a kind of apathy. And it led to a kind of injustice. And the watching world sees us today and sees us apathetic and sees us courting injustice in many respects, and they're just not impressed. If you live your life just like the world lives, oh Christian, and you just tag a thank you Jesus onto the end of your week on Sunday, the world is not impressed. But if you allow your loving Father to replace your priorities upon the person of Jesus, and if you allow him to reframe your incorrect perspectives to see the beauty of Christ and what he has done for you, and if you allow the regular practice of covenant faithfulness to mark your life, then you will find yourselves beginning to rest, even in the disappointment that some of you feel. The Lord repeatedly calls himself in this book the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth. 
It means the Lord of the armies. It means the Lord of war. It means the Lord Almighty. It means the, the one who has come, who rules over all. And he says in Haggai chapter 1, verse 13 and 2-4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, for I am with you. Your Father in heaven says, I am sovereign. Am I not? And we say to Jesus, Jesus, why didn't you come to us? And Jesus says, was I not there with you every week in worship when you came to the Lord's table? I was there. We say to the Holy Spirit, where are you, Holy Spirit? And the Spirit says, I am with you. Do you not know that I indwell you permanently now and I reside in your midst when you come together? I know you're distracted by all kinds of things, but I'm with you, I'm here. And mamas who are extremely lonely and stressed out by raising their kiddos, it seems like you do it alone so much. Do you know the Holy Spirit is with you? And he encourages you through other people and community groups in this church to help you shepherd your kids. You cannot do it alone. Some of you are so worn out by trying to be the perfect parent. You're stressed out. I'm stressed out. This week, listen, I'm, I was a single dad all week this week, and I, you'd be so proud of me. I got my, my two youngest ready for the soccer game this week. I got them dressed. I got them in their uniforms. I got their shin guards on. I got them ready. They were totally ready to go. And Bennett looks at me before we were about to walk out the door, and he goes, Dad, why are we dressed up for soccer games on Friday? And Annie slams the fridge door and she looks at me and she goes, and this is why we need mom home. <laughs> I got him dressed on the wrong day. <laughs> and I know some of you are so, you're, you're tired, I know you're tired. But don't you see, friends, that the beauty of us striving to be Christ's covenant community together, even in the sixth grade center, even as we prepare to move into our new building, even as we learn what it's like to be the church. We have everything right now because the body of Christ's people is his church. Not a building, although the building is going to be amazing and it's going to help us reach this community better and it's going to allow us to have a home and allow us to rest even better and even parent our children better. The fourth thing that Haggai says is that God will establish his messianic kingdom through an even greater Zerubbabel. The very end of the book, he, lead, he ends by saying, Zerubbabel, you will be my signet ring to the nations. It was a sign that Zerubbabel, you are now going to stand in David's place and you are going to prepare the way for the Lord. And people are left in the Old Testament. They were left saying, is Zerubbabel going to be our Messiah? Is he going to be the Messiah to come? And so is it any wonder why both in the genealogy of Jesus' father and the genealogy of Jesus' mother, who's mentioned, but Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. Because Jesus is the true and better Zerubbabel who has come, who is not just a king, but he's also a prophet like Haggai, he's also a priest like Joshua. And he has come and he has said that on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, and I will make you a signet ring because I have chosen you. I am the Lord of hosts. And when John writes in his gospel, he's thinking back to Haggai, and he says, and Jesus came, 
and he tabernacled among us. He templed among us. That Jesus came with royal authority as the true and living signet ring. And he came with all of God's royal authority. And he stamped humanity with his very imprint, being fully God and fully man. And he lived a life that you and I should have lived. And he died a death that we should have died in our place as a sacrifice for us. And not only does he say that Jesus is the tabernacle, but Jesus says, if you've ever seen me, you have seen the Father in John 15. And then Jesus says in John chapter 2, if you tear down this temple, speaking of himself, I will rebuild it on the third day. I will raise it up. And so now the temple, which once was a laid in rubble in the middle of Jerusalem and God called the leaders to rebuild it, now he calls you, O Christian, today to build up his temple, that is the church, you, to pour into each other's life, to open your doors, to serve your brothers and sisters, and to become that kind of covenant community that the world looks at and longs to be a part of, but can't see through all of the division. And the way that we push through these defeater ethics is the long and slow pathway of consistent faithfulness to his covenant promises and his sacraments. You cannot quick fix the problems that the world sees in God's people today, but you can start today with you by faithfully coming to the sacraments in just a moment and saying, the temple that you've called me to build, that I have clung to too fiercely, I lay it down so that I might pour my life into this new temple, the church. And through my calling in the world, I might be able to live out my purpose, not in order to achieve the 10 million frequent flyer a mile moment, but that I might be able to enjoy relationship with the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the body of which we are a part. And so, returning to the temple means that we reset our priorities on Christ's purposes for us. Amen? Returning to the temple means that we reframe our perspectives in light of God's presence in our midst. Amen? Return to the temple means that the regular practices of covenant faithfulness in the sacraments is key to rebuilding his temple, the church. Amen? And returning to the temple means that we look to the true Zerubbabel, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who leads us into the city that is to come by giving us foretastes of it now in our life together. Our Messiah was more than a king. He was the true priest like Joshua. He was the true prophet like Haggai. And he knows you by name and he has chosen you to enjoy him forever. Allow the book of Haggai to call you to make no more excuses, but to come to his presence. Amen. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning with St. Patrick of old, that you would help us, Lord Christ, to be with us, Christ be within us, Christ be behind us, be before us, beside us. Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. 
Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. And Jesus, would you bless these tithes and offerings, and would you guide us into repentance and joy as we come to your table this morning, thankful for your covenant promises to us that are yes and amen in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the true Zerubbabel, our prophet, priest, and king, in whose name we pray.